Well, good morning and welcome to Horizon. I call that Leisure Rock. <laughs> Makes you want to just drive in a convertible with the top down. Um, well, welcome to Horizon. It is good to see you. Um, we're continuing today through our series called Word Search, where we've been taking a look at the life of uh, Jesus and trying to learn about him and what we believe. And um, sometimes to an outsider, the beliefs of a follower of Christ can seem kind of confusing, um, kind of weird even. So we've been looking at Jesus and trying to find some really clear traits of his life, looking in the uh, four books called the Gospels that talk about his life. And today we'll be looking at a book called Luke, okay? And the writer of Luke calls Jesus by a lot of names, all right? So we're going to continue our fun crossword um, puzzle here today. And Luke calls Jesus in the very first verse of the whole book, the day spring. So see if you can find day spring behind me. Put, a, put on your thinking hat. You see it? Where's it at? All right, day spring, reveal it, Gage. There it is, guys. You're quick. You win nothing. Good job. Um, Luke continues, and he calls Jesus the Savior, Savior of the world. Can anybody find Savior? Third row. Okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah. All right, Gage, reveal it, please. There it is. Nice. You guys have drank your coffee today. He continues and he says, hey, Jesus is the horn of salvation. So think horn like signifying, whoo, horn of salvation. Can you find horn? Man, you're quick. Yeah, he's speedy. So horn's on the bottom row there. Um, so he's got these nicknames for Jesus. Any of you guys ever had a nickname growing up? Yeah, well, when I was little, I had two older brothers and my nickname was Buzz. Okay, and it, it, I'm too old for that to be because of Buzz Lightyear. It was because they said that I was like this pesky fly that was always buzzing around in their face. And they literally called me Buzz. And, you know, it's debilitating. Um, in high school, thanks to Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura, um, you can guess what my nickname was in high school. It was Ace because my last name is Ventura. Um, so I've heard that thousands of times. And then my senior year of high school, I had a football coach that was from California and he drove every day on Ventura Highway. So my nickname in high school for him was Highway. Uh, so, so nicknames are, are interesting. And Luke has a bunch of them for Jesus. And the final one that he gives for Jesus is this, Miracle Worker. Can you guys find Miracle up on the screen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. There, there it is. That Jesus performs these amazing miracles where he'll calm storms, he'll cast out demons, he'll walk on water. But friends, how much evidence do we have to have to truly believe that those things have happened? And uh, just imagine, okay, so just imagine that's you, all right? You've spent 12 hours, okay, 12 hours through the night in a, in a cold and rickety boat, okay? You've been throwing that net out time and time again for 12 hours, your back is aching, your shoulders are sore, your, your fingers are stiff and they sting because you've just been pulling a net after net after net all night long without one fish, okay? And then you, as the sun rises in the sky and you're filled with frustration, you're discouraged, all you want to do is clean your nets and go home and crawl into bed because you got to come back in 12 hours. Imagine just then... Uh, a man walks up and he says, hey, hey, why don't you put your boat back out in the water and, and throw those nicely clean nets back out into that dirty pond. 
right? Like there's a lot of choice words I'd be thinking to say um, that might get me arrested. Um, but certainly I would be thinking what Kenny just saying. Like, I, I don't even know if I believe that, right? That sounds pretty unbelievable. And that's been this question we've been wrestling with through this series word search is can we believe in Jesus? Can we believe that, that he lived, he walked, he died, he rose again, and he lives today? That's the question we all have to answer. And today we're going to try to explore that. We'll dive a little deeper into this account together. It says, so, what, so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. So here we meet Jesus, okay, and he's teaching by this body of water, okay, Lake Gennesaret. It's also the Sea of Galilee. And he would often do this because as you can see, the natural topography creates this natural amphitheater for a voice to carry, right? So he's teaching there like he, he did pretty often. And I want you to see the word multitude, okay? The word multitude in that verse because I think it might surprise you. Because I think our culture and our media has done an amazing job of presenting Jesus as kind of weird, <laughs> right? Like Jesus kind of seems in media like he's like your weird uncle or awkward cousin, you know. Like if he walked in today, he'd be rocking Crocs with socks, you know. Um, sorry if that's you. Um, he, he would have driven here today in like a 1986 Honda Civic that had like an 8-track player in it. You know, and he's not even listening to like Led Zeppelin. He's got like an ABBA 8-track in there. Um, Google 8-track later if you're under 40. Um, that kind of our culture presents him as kind of awkward. And friends, that couldn't be further from the truth. That when you look at the accounts of the life of Jesus, he was a virtual rock star in his time. Okay, I mean, everywhere he went, you see this word multitude, that he was followed by a crowd. He was a people magnet. People wanted to be around him. Um, because they wanted to see what he would do. They also wanted to, to hear what he would say. They would say things like, you know, you have the words of life. And they wanted to be close to him. So he wasn't that awkward, weird, robot-y guy we see sometimes on television and, and in movies. Um, he would have been a guy you would want to hang out with. And on this day, the crowd is swelling, okay? So the crowds around the lake are pressing in, and he's beginning to lose space. So he looks around, and he finds a couple of boats, okay? And let's pick up from there. It says, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So here we meet a guy named Simon, okay? And Simon will eventually become a guy named Peter, but since it calls him Simon over and over again today, we're going to call him Simon, okay? Um, and in Simon, friends, we are all going to see ourselves, okay? Because Simon is just a normal guy, everyday guy. He's got a wife at home. He's got a house. He's got a job. Not sure if he had kids. It's probable. Um, he's got the same issues, problems, struggles we all have in our lives. Uh, and I see myself in him. And, and in Simon... He's going to have these moments in his life over and over and over again where he's going to have to decide who Jesus is. Like, what do I do with this guy who's claiming to be the son of God? i got to decide, do I believe that or not? And in fact, Simon had met Jesus before this morning at the shores of the Galilee. He had met him in his home that Jesus had visited Simon's house. Okay, Jesus is there and Simon's mother-in-law is really sick. So she has a high fever. She's in bed Jesus goes in and heals her, does his Jesus thing. And she's like, 
bam, she's up and she's joining the party. But for whatever reason, Simon, that's not enough for him to believe. Like it's not quite enough to push him over the finish line. He's still not sure who Jesus is. And when we find him today in this boat, we still find him as a, I don't know if I really believe this guy. I'm kind of skeptical, a little unbelief. And friends, I know that there's some of you in this room that that would describe you. That like you're sitting here and you're like, eh, I still got my doubts. Not quite sure. And what I want to say is, man, we love the fact that you're here. Okay, literally, Horizon exists for you. I don't know if you know that, okay? Um, that our motto on our website, Google it right now, um, is yours to explore. <laughs> Sounds very regal. I mean, Chad has it tattooed on his chest, you know, ask him about it sometime. Um, but, but we love the fact that we can be a place where people can come and just safely explore Jesus and the Bible and faith and life um, at their own comfortable pace. And I, I hope you feel that freedom because that is our hope and our intent. And on this day, Simon feels that freedom. He's standing in the lake. He's washing his nets. And as we read, Jesus has asked him, hey, push out a little bit. Let me teach. Push your boat out a little bit and I'll teach from there. And Simon's okay with that. He's in for a penny. He's not quite in for a pound yet, but he's willing. Maybe it's like you showing up at Horizon. You're like, it doesn't cost me much. I'm going to come sometimes. Other times I won't. Totally okay. Um, but Jesus isn't going to leave him there. Okay, so Jesus has asked him, push out a little bit. He did that. Jesus is going to go on to ask another question. He said to Simon, hey, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So if I'm Simon, here's what I'm thinking. I'm just being honest. I'm thinking, hey, Jesus, this is a bait and switch because you said launch out a little, and I did that, and now you're saying launch out a lot, launch out really deep in the water, and Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but my nets, they are perfectly clean, and if I'm going to throw them back into the dark and murky waters of the Sea of Galilee, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin them. Like you're asking a lot from me here, Jesus. I'm just being honest. You're asking a lot from me. Um, and here's the deal, Jesus. I don't know if you know this. I don't want to be too forward. But Jesus, I'm a professional fisherman. <laughs> this is what I do for a living. You're a rabbi. You do the God stuff. I'll do the fish stuff. Okay? I'm the fisherman. And I can 100% tell you, Jesus, 100% that there are no fish in this lake around my boat right now. Okay? My aching back and my empty nets attest to the fact that there are just, there's no fish right here, Jesus. And Simon has this choice to make here, friends, that he's got to decide, like, am I, am I going to believe Jesus? It's going to cost me more than a little, right? The little is pushing out. It's going to cost me throwing my nets back in. And this brings us to our first word of the day, okay, our first word search of the day. So let's see what it is. It's challenge. <laughs> that Jesus here is challenging Simon to believe, challenging him to believe that as you look at the life of Jesus in the gospels he's going to do this over and over again he'll challenge people hey take that next step whatever that is for you take the next step that he's challenging us to go from the shallow end of life where our feet can touch and it's fun for a while in the shallow end like when you're a kid you know but like fun in life is found in the deep end right He's saying, hey, go to the deep end like where cannonballs rule, right? And you can do that sweet pencil dive off the diving board. Like, go to the deep end. Like, it's going to be better. He's, he's challenging Simon here to go from unbelief to belief. Okay, I believe you're the son of God. But then he challenges him to take another step. 
to what I would call trust. He says, Simon, could you dare to trust me to put your net back in? Whole other step. And if you think about it, friends, like belief, belief is really a thought that exists in our heads. And sometimes it becomes a conviction that lives in our hearts where trust, trust is an action, right? Think about this. Okay, so it's Saturday night. Let's say you and your spouse, you're like, let's go to the FC Cincinnati game, right? They're undefeated at home. Let's go check them out. You know, but you got kids and you decide you shouldn't just leave them home by themselves, right? Um, so you're like, let's get a babysitter, you know? And, and here's the deal. You can believe someone is capable of babysitting your kids, right? You can believe it. You're like, they're not a felon. Their car looks safe and they don't listen to Nickelback. So they're good. Um, <laughs> We're good, we're good. Uh, but, but trust, now trust doesn't really kick in until you leave your kids at home with that person, get in your car, and you drive away, right? Like that's where trust kicks in, that trust. Trust is an action, my friends. Let me show you a different way. I got a stool here, right? And this is our bass player Mike's stool, okay? So it's padded. It's very fancy. Um, and I believe this stool will hold my weight because it's a sturdy stool. I believe it. Convicted of it. But not until I sit in it. Oh, man. Right? Like that, that is trust, right? That's trust when you actually put your weight in it. Well, well friends, this moment right here, this decision where we see Simon deciding, should I put my nuts back in? This decision where you're deciding, should I leave my kids with this babysitter? This decision where I'm like, should I sit on the stool? That this is right where we all find ourselves every single day of our lives. Every single one of us. So whether you're a Christian and you're like, you know what? I've been a Christ follower since I came out of the womb. I was singing amazing grace. Like when I was born. You know, or, or you're over here and you're like, you know what? Like I wandered into Horizon on accident today. <laughs> this is my first time in a church and you people confuse me. I don't know what to do with your fancy bagels and your amazingly handsome preachers. I just don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what I believe. Um, that, that we have to decide to accept that challenge no matter where we are in that pendulum of faith. No matter where you would self-select. Like I'm here, I'm here. Well, we're, we're both in the same boat. That we got to decide. Will we accept the challenge to believe Jesus? Will we accept the challenge to trust him? And, and today I want to ask you, like, what would it look like to accept the challenge to believe in Jesus? Like, like what would that look like to believe him that you could throw your nets in? Um, what would it look like to do that for the first time, right? Because really that's the first challenge is that first hurdle of, like, can I believe this stuff? Can I believe that Jesus lived and he died and he rose again and he's still living? Like, that's, whew, that's, that's a lot to believe, well, well, that's what this word search series has been all about, has been like helping us find evidence for our belief. And, and Drew and Chad have done a great job of presenting us with this evidence that like, hey, Jesus was a real person who lived, a real historic man that lived. He was crucified. He rose again. There's a whole lot of evidence to that. Um, they've been helping us try to find faith in the fact that the Bible is a historical document the, the manuscript evidence, if you remember that, that what we read today is, is what was written some 2,000 years ago. And, and in fact, today what's fun 
is we're looking at a book called Luke. Okay, that's where this story comes out of. And Luke was written within 40 years of the life of Jesus. Okay, and I know if you're 20, 40 years sounds like an eternity. Uh, but for those of us with some gray hair or no hair, 40 years isn't that long. <laughs> right, like 40 years ago was 1983. All right. And I was only seven, but I remember in 1983 that Ronald Reagan was president. I remember gas was really cheap, like a buck 24, I think was the average. And I remember when Michael Jackson okay, dropped his iconic album Thriller. All right. Anybody ever moonwalk? Yeah. Yeah. I had older brothers, so they listened to Thriller all the time. Um, so what would happen today if some kook is like, hey, you know what? I'm going to rewrite history about 1983. Okay, and they put out this book, and they're like, Ronald Reagan, he was a flaming liberal president, right? He's so uber-democratic president. And, and cars? Cars used to run on Kool-Aid. They didn't run on gasoline. Like, some cars took grape Kool-Aid, some took cherry, some took lime, the foreign ones, that, you know. Um, and uh, Michael Jackson? Michael Jackson was like the stud quarterback for the Super Bowl-winning Miami Dolphins, right? Like, I'm only seven, but I would be raising my hand and being like, hey, that's wrong, I remember all that stuff and like historical critics from around the world would be saying, no, that's wrong. They'd be attacking this book and this author like toddlers attack a tray of chicken nuggets, right? Like it would just be on. And when you look at the gospels that were written within 40 to 100 years of the life of Jesus, you look around them at the other writings, the Hebrew writings, the Roman writings, you don't see any of that critique. You don't see people saying, hey, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're bogus. Jesus never existed. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. He wasn't president, right? You don't see that. So that helps give me confidence. And then as we look at Luke, Luke was written by a man named Luke, funny enough. <laughs> Very creative spelling and naming there. Um, and Luke was a, f a friend of Paul. So if you've ever heard of St. Paul, um, who wrote parts of the Bible as well. Luke was a traveling companion. And friends, Luke was a physician, okay? And I know we have a lot of physicians here at Horizon. And I've met many of you, fine men and women that serve us so well. And what I would say about physicians is you all can remember a whole lot of stuff, <laughs> right? Like think about all that a doctor has to remember and recall to get those two little magical letters near their name, right? Like it's far more than us mere mortals ever like read or think about, much less trying to remember that, that physicians, you guys are good at details and the minutia. You remember so much. And when Luke writes his story about the life of Jesus, he's going to write it from a physician's mindset. Okay, it's going to be filled with details, very specific names, places, geography. And as he begins to write it, he sets it up this way. So this is the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I'll read it and I'll kind of... Um, unpack it as we go. He says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of these things which have been fulfilled among us. So a whole lot of fancy words <laughs> to say that, hey, a whole lot of people are already writing about the life of Jesus. That's what he's saying there, okay? Um, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, so he's saying, hey, there were eyewitnesses that delivered to me what they saw. So this thing we're talking about, the miraculous catch of fish, he talked to people that were actually there. Um, and the ministers of the word, those are the disciples. So he's saying, hey, I've talked to the guys that were with Jesus for three years of their lives. 
and I got the details. I got the deets. I took notes. I'm a physician. I, I'm very, like, on it with the details. And he continues, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account. Most excellent Theopolis. So he's writing this to a friend that you may know. And here's where he's going to lay out his hope for Theopolis, which is his hope for us today. The certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So as you read this, you, you see a whole lot of very specific words he's saying, right? Eyewitnesses, perfect understanding, orderly account, certainty. That, that Luke is laying out so many specific facts. And here's an example. So if you go to Luke 3, um, as he's setting up this chapter, um, you'll see that like when he sets up a new chapter, he'll name, you know, who the reigning uh, Caesar is, who the king is, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, Herod, the tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip. I mean, he's naming all kinds of things, okay? This is just one little example. And what's happened over the course of history is critics will look at Luke and they'll say, Oh, well, he names so many things that certainly he's made a mistake because clearly he's making this up. And, and they'll look and they'll find names and they'll be like, oh, that guy never existed. Gotcha, Jesus, right? Um, but what happens, like in this case with uh, Lysanias, is for centuries they, they thought Lysanias died 40 years before Jesus was ever born. And that was always a little bit of a problem <laughs> to explain. And, and then what happened about 150 years ago, as they found an inscription from a, another Lysanias, who was like a third nephew, who was actually ruling during the actual time that Jesus lived in the actual area of Abilene. He was an actual tetrarch. So over and over again, what happens is Luke is confirmed, and the things that can be confirmed have been. Um, and for me, that gives me faith. It gives me some trust that what I'm reading in Luke is true. Um, so for you, maybe today is the day where you accept the challenge to, to believe in Jesus for the first time, right? Like maybe right here, right now, you're accepting that challenge to believe in Jesus for the first time. That you're like, okay, eventually I just got to take a step and I just got to trust because I'm never going to get every single thing answered that I need answered. I'm going to have to take a step of trust and maybe today is that first day for you. Or maybe you're saying, hey, Ryan, that was a long time ago. Like, like when I made that first step to believe Jesus and, and to even trust him. That was, that was a while ago. Um, well, then what would it look like for you to accept the challenge of Jesus to believe, not for the first time again, but for the next time? For the next time. Like, here's what I want you to do. Okay, I want you to think about that thing in your life right now that's hard. Okay, it's causing you pain, either physical, emotional. Okay, maybe it's an actual physical issue, like an ongoing health problem. Maybe it's a struggle at work with a project, a coworker. Uh, maybe it's a relationship at home. Or maybe it's an internal struggle, you know, a personal one. I'm just sharing this one for a friend. Um, but maybe you've realized that you're a middle-aged, bald, chubby guy, and your best-looking years are far behind you, right? And you don't know what to do with that. You're kind of struggling. Um, again, just spitballing, sharing that for Chris, um, right? Like, who knows? But whatever that thing is for you right now, where you're, like, feeling like I've been throwing my net out over and over and over again, and I'm, I'm pulling it back in, and every time it's coming back empty. 
And right now I'm finding myself frustrated and discouraged and exhausted. Well, well, friends, whatever you're thinking about right now in that moment, that's the exact place where Jesus is asking you. He's challenging you. He's saying, hey, could you believe in me in that moment, that thing? Okay, whatever that is, could you even trust me? I want to get into the boat. Could you believe and trust me with even that? That, friends, maybe for you it's not accepting the, the challenge to believe for the first time. It's for this next time, whatever you're in the middle of right now. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's always a choice, right? That like when someone challenges us with something, it's a, it's a choice to, to do it. God can't force us to believe. He can't force us to trust him. What kind of love would that be, right? So, so we got to accept it. we got to choose the challenge. Um, but here's the best news ever, okay, that when we're willing to look our circumstances square in the face and say, hey, the nets are coming back empty, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, um, and then we're willing to say that word, and I don't know if you saw it in that verse, but that, that beautiful word that Simon said, where he says, nevertheless. Did you see that? He says, nevertheless, I'm going to let down my nets again. That when we're willing to do that, that what we find is we find that Jesus is so worthy, so worthy of our trust. That, that he's so worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our trust, one, because he's the God of the universe, Right, So he's omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful, forever forgiving, forever loving, all of those amazing things. So he's God. He's kind of got that going for him, which is pretty cool. Um, but then also, he's so worthy of our trust because he has amazing, awesome plans for our lives. Okay, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but in John, John 10, it's another book about the life of Jesus. Um, Jesus gives us his thesis statement for why he came to earth, okay, for us. And we're going to look at it in two little chunks here. So Gage has it pulled up. Okay, it says this. It says, I have come that they may have life and that they may blank. So he's throwing out his mission statement. I've come that they may have life, right? Like we get to breathe, we get to live. I like being on this side of the dirt for as long as I can, um, right? Like we have life. And then that they may... Blank, and, and I wonder what he's about to say. Like, what's Jesus' big agenda here for us? Like, what's his agenda? Is it they may have life, that they may be good little boys and girls, that they may be obedient, that they may uh, be nice, that they may be friendly, that they may give all their money to me? Like, what's, what's the may? Like, Jesus, what's, what's the dirty little agenda here that you have for all of our lives? Well, let's see says this, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. That, that Jesus' big agenda for our lives is that he wants to give us abundant life. And another word for abundant in newer translations is full. That he says, hey, I've come that I want to give you life. We all want to live and breathe and, and that's, a, that's good. But I want you to have a full life, a robust life, an overflowing life life, that he came to give us a full life. And I love that word because we're about to see it in the form of a lot of nets, okay, a lot of full, overflowing nets. It says this, it says, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, 
and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partner in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. So just, just imagine, okay, sometimes we read Bible stories and it just sounds like, it feels like you're just watching a TV show, just like it's fiction. Um, but imagine you're there, here's Simon or one of his buddies, and all night long, under your own energy, you've thrown out this net and you've pulled it back and you have not caught one single solitary fish. Right? Not a bluegill, not a guppy, not a catfish. You didn't catch anything. Okay, and then you accept the challenge from Jesus to believe and to trust. And then now you are pulling in your net and there are so many fish, okay, that your boat is beginning to sink. All right? Your boat's beginning to sink, so you're yelling to your buddies like, hey, come help me. And then their boat starts sinking all right, like this is crazy. And at first Simon is very concerned about the fish, I'm sure, because he's thinking like fish, money, we're going to be millionaires. This is amazing, guys, right? This is going to be awesome. And then you see this moment where it's like a light switch flips in his head. And Simon gets scared, right, that he realizes that he's dealing here with the God of the universe, and we get to our second word here in our word search. Cha- astonish. <laughs> so we have challenge and then astonish. Uh, that Simon and his buddies are about to be astonished. It says this in verse 9. It says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken That, friends, when we accept the challenge to go from unbelief to belief, we we put that belief into action to trust that where we find ourselves is we're we're astonished. That that Jesus wants to astonish you with his goodness. Astonished. Now, when's the last time you were astonished? Okay, not by something bad. Because we watch the news, even the last couple weeks in Cincinnati, there's been some astonishingly bad things. Um, but when's, when's the last time you were astonished by something good? Like, like, don't we all want that? Has it been a week, a month, a decade, <laughs> ever? Um, well, I want to be astonished by good things. And here's what it could look like. In the 1850s, there's a guy named George Mueller, okay? And George lives in Brest, Bristol, England, all right? And, and he and his wife, they're not wealthy, But at the time, there's this huge problem with orphans, okay? Hundreds and hundreds of orphans around Bristol. So they decide to start bringing orphans into their home. And at first, there's a few, and then there's dozens. And they, you know, figure out how to build it bigger. They make it bigger. And eventually, in their lifetime, they're going to care for over 10,000 orphans in their life, okay? And what's cool is George was a, a man of faith. So he had accepted the challenge to believe. He had accepted the challenge to trust in Jesus, And what's really neat is he kept this journal, okay? And you can still read it today. It's the Journal of George Mueller where he he tells about what happened every day as he's running this orphanage. And there's this one journal entry that's my favorite, right? There's a day where they wake up and he's got dozens and dozens of orphans under his care and he realizes that they don't have enough food to feed them. So just imagine, like your, your job is the head of the orphanage You have 60, 70, 80 little mouths that are hungry, ready to eat. 
and you wake up, <clears throat> excuse me, and you look in the fridge and there's nothing there. Um, ooh, man, that's not good. And George has a decision here and he decides, hey, I'm going to take the challenge to believe and I'm going to trust Jesus to provide. So he gets all the orphans and he puts them into the dining hall. He sets them at their tables. Okay, and he says, hey, children, just like we do every day, I'm going to pray and thank Jesus for our food. Okay, and this is all in his journal. He, he prays, dear, dear God, thank you for the food you're going to provide for us. Amen. Two minutes later, knock at the door. Okay, George goes, opens the door. Guess who it is? It's the baker. <laughs> it's the baker from Bristol, England. And the baker says, hey, George, in the middle of the night last night, I'm dead asleep. God wakes me up and tells me that I've got to start baking bread right now for your kids. And at 2 a.m., I've never done this. You know it. I've never brought you bread. At 2 a.m., I started baking loaf after loaf after loaf of bread. And George, I brought them. Do you need them? And he's like, yeah, I need them. Bad. Uh, and he starts feeding the kids. Again, the kids start eating. And he's astonished, of course, by the goodness of God. Right? Like, that's an astonishing thing. It's a documented thing. Pretty cool. But God's not done. Okay? Because they're eating their bread. They're drinking their water. And then... There's another knock at the door. This is starting to sound like a bad joke, right? Um, and, and he goes and he opens the door, and, and it's the milkman, right? You got the baker and the milkman looking for the butcher. Um, and, and the milkman says, hey, hey, George, my cart, it broke down right in front of your orphanage. The, the axle broke, and my cart right now is loaded with dozens and dozens and dozens of bottles of heavy milk, and I can't fix my axle with the weight on it, would you take these bottles of milk? Because I don't want to just dump them in the street. And George says, well, heck yeah, I'll take those bottles of milk. And he brings them in, and the children get bread, and they get milk. And today, some 200 years later almost, we can read about this amazing goodness of Jesus where a man said, hey, I'm going to take the challenge to believe. I'm going to take the challenge to trust and man, did God show up and astonish him with his, his goodness. Like, friends, don't you want that in your life? Don't you want to be astonished by the goodness of God? You know, as we finish up today, I wonder, I said we would all see ourselves in Simon. I wonder today, like, which, which Simon are you? Right? Are you the Simon that it's the middle of the night, you're still in the boat, you're still throwing the net out, you're still trying to pull back something in life that just feels like it's eluding you, and every time the net comes back and it's empty and you're frustrated and you're tired and you're exhausted, is that, is that your Simon? Is that where you sit today? Or are you the Simon where like it's daytime and you've pulled your boat into the shore and you've pulled your nets out and it's, again, it's frustrating they're empty, and you're hearing this claim of Jesus, and you're like, you know, I just don't know, Jesus. I don't know if I'm willing to believe and put my net back out. I don't know. Well, I've been in both of those boats. I've been both of those Simons plenty of times. Um, but what I'd say, what if today we left as astonished Simon? Wouldn't it be more fun to leave as astonished Simon, where we've gone out to the deeper waters and we've seen Jesus do amazing things and we've put our nets back into the waters. We've trusted him. Um, that, that's the Simon I want to leave as, is the astonished Simon. 
And I wonder for you, like, what are the deeper waters today? Like, for you, what are those deeper waters? Like, is Jesus asking you to, to trust him to connect at a greater level here at Horizon? Right? It's a, it's a big enough church where it's hard to connect. You've got to step out. Like, is it to join a, a men or women's Bible study? Like, this summer in July, we have a captivated women's Bible study that's going to happen, and it's awesome. It's going to be at the Art Museum. You're going to go. You'll look at pieces of fine art and through the lens of the Bible and faith. Um, in, in the fall, fellas, we have a men's Bible study coming up called Authentic Manhood in October, where a guy named Ken Kington, who's hilarious, will come in and he'll run this uh, four or five week study on what it means to be a man and follow Jesus. And I'll be hosting a table at that. If you would want to sit with me, that would be amazing. Um, or maybe the deeper waters for you are volunteering here at Horizon. I don't know if you're aware of this, but our middle school ministry, fifth to eighth grade, has grown by 30% in the last 12 months. So Alex and Ellen, our middle school pastors, are doing an awesome job. We're seeing amazing growth. Um, and what I know about fifth to eighth graders is they are crazy fun, but they are also crazy crazy. Okay? <laughs> um, so when you grow by 30%, you need, you need some good trustworthy adults in the room with them or things are going to go down. Um, so maybe that's your deeper waters. Or maybe... Maybe for you, the deeper waters are internal waters. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm challenging you to believe in me, to trust me with those, those lab results. Like, trust me to be your peace in the midst of the storm. Or, or trust me with that anxiety you feel every day. Could you, could you believe? Could you trust me to be your peace in the middle of that? That, friends, the challenge from, from Jesus right here, right now, this day, for you, is, is maybe for the first time to believe in him, to trust him, to be astonished by his goodness, or maybe for the next time to believe in him, to trust him, to be astonished by his goodness. Will you accept the challenge? Well, what if today, right here, right now, is your day to accept the challenge from Jesus, to believe in him and to trust him? hope you'll consider it. Hey, uh, cool things going on always at our church. Uh, in the next few weeks, we'll be collecting supplies for IPM um, through their backpack drive. So if you want to start bringing some of those things in, um, you can collect them out there in the atrium. We'd love that. Um, and as always, if you ever want to talk, the hearth room is the third door on the left. There's always somebody much smarter than me there to talk to you. Other than that, have a great week. Hope to see you next week.